Welcome to the Poker Punks Podcast, Episode 2. For this episode, I have two hands here that were very interesting hands. One is from a recent session that I had at Parks, which is my local casino, which is right outside Philadelphia. And the second one is one that I featured on the vlog from quite a while ago, actually. It was from a session that I played at the Hard Rock Tampa last year, but it's a hand that stuck with me for all this time because even though it was a hand that I ended up winning, I think that I played it pretty bad and I wanted to do a bit deeper dive into it and get some insight into what I think I did okay, what I think I did bad, and what the thinking of my opponent in that hand was. So let's get to some hands. For this first hand, we are at a 1-3 no limit table, and there is a big high hand promotion going on this night. It is the monthly drawing night for the high hands from the month prior, where the high hand is being drawn every 15 minutes. There's drawings throughout the night for even bigger prizes from the people who had won high hands before, and the room is packed, and it's packed with a lot of recreational players. In this hand, I'm in middle position with an effective stack of about $850, which is fairly deep versus the $500 cap. We look down at the queen of hearts, queen of spades, and raised to $20, which has been our standard raise at the table since it's a very loose passive table. We could call us from the hijack and the button, with $64 in the pot, we see a flop of Queen of Clubs, Ten of Clubs, Eight of Clubs. Initially, I think this is a great flop for us since we flop top set. And then I quickly realized that it is a monotone board. So I decided to proceed with a little bit of caution here and check out of position in a three-way pot. To my surprise, the flop checks through. Then the turn card is the Ace of Clubs. Putting a four flush on the board, However, when both players check to me on the flop, I don't necessarily put either of them on too strong a hand or necessarily them on too strong of a club because I would think that one of them, if they happen to have something like King X clubs, might have bet the flop. So with that in mind and the fact that they have shown no interest in this pot so far and I do have now second set, I decided to take a little bit of a stab at it and bet out $25. I think it's a small enough bet that it can get called from some worse hands and a large enough bet that weaker hands will fold out. Maybe some of the low flushes might fold out. Anything under the eight of clubs might fold out. To my surprise, both players end up calling. And at this point, I figure I am pretty much done with the hand. I figure one of them has to have the king of clubs or at least the nine of clubs, hoping for that straight flush to be part of the high hand for the evening. The river card comes off the ace of spades. So now my thinking about the hand changes. I think, okay, I've boated up. And there's definitely a chance now that I could get a call from a flush that is either the king high flush or a weaker flush that I am now beating. 
With that in mind, I decide to go for a $45 bet, thinking that I'm probably only gonna get called in one spot, and I wanna try and squeeze that last little bit of thin value out of this hand. This is when things get weird. All of a sudden, the player next to Ak min clicks it to $100. The player on the button ends up folding and it's back on me facing essentially a min raise of $55. And the only thing that goes through my head is what am I actually beating here? Would this player do this with a naked ace or just a flush here? The player is a middle-aged Asian man who really has been very passive all night. I don't think I've seen him raise a single hand pre-flop or post-flop, and I do not remember him bluffing any hands that I have seen. Therefore, even though I'm sitting here with a full house, all I can think of is what do I actually beat that he would be doing this with? Essentially, there are higher full houses out there and two straight flush possibilities out there. And in my heart, I am just thinking, I'm beat. Can I really just fold here for such a small raise? And going through the process, I'm thinking an inordinate amount of time for this hand in particular. But after about a minute of tanking and going back and forth, unfortunately for me, I decide to make the call, even though it went against my gut instinct, and the villain turns over Jack of Clubs, Nine of Clubs, for a flop straight flush. To make it slightly worse, if that river had been the case queen instead of an ace, I would have hit the bad beat jackpot, which was sitting at about $220,000 at the time, and I would have gotten 40% of that. On the bright side, me being able to understand the situation, the player, and knowing that there is no value in me re-raising him because there is zero chance I'm getting a call from a hand that I am actually beating, I was able to not stack off, not get too excited over making a full house. Sometimes, as the saying goes, it isn't the chips that you win, but sometimes more so about the chips you don't lose. This next hand is from a session that I played a while back at the Hard Rock Tampa Casino. It is a hand that's really stuck with me because at the time I thought that I played it great. And looking back after a year of doing more studying and more looking at my game, I really think that I played it poorly. And I wanted to do a deep dive on it and really critique myself in the way that I played this hand. The hand starts out, it's really late. I'm getting ready to pack it up soon. And we are under the gun and we look down at Ace of Hearts, King of Diamonds. The cutoff had straddled, so the button is first to act. The button and the small blind both call the straddle, and it is a 2-5 game, so they're calling $10. A fellow vlogger from Australia then raises to $60 from the big blind, sensing weakness from the limpers. Calling is out of the question here, as I position, and calling will just give the rest of the table a good price to come along and create a multi-way pot. I decide to raise and I make it $160 to go. My sizing here is the problem. I really think that my raise is too small. 
and that I should really be sizing up to 200 to 240 here to make sure that I get the pot heads up and that I'm not giving a good price to the straddler and the two limpers to call. By only making it uh, about two and a half times, I'm giving way too much incentive to hands like pocket fives through pocket jacks to call and try and set mine. And as we're about 1400 effective here, it really should have been a much larger raise. Luckily, as the hand plays out, everybody folds to the original razor and we just get a call from them and we go to a flop with a pot of $350 heads up. The flop is ace of clubs, seven of diamonds, four of spades. When the villain checks to me, I bet $150 and quickly see a call from the villain. Again, I think 100% I should be betting here, but my sizing is not great. 40% of the pot is an odd sizing. I prefer a bit bigger of a size of maybe two thirds pot, so about $240 to $260. The reason I like bigger sizing is by not four betting me, I really should be able to rule out hands like pocket aces, pocket kings, and ace king suited. And my opponent should be heavily weighted to hands more like ace queen through ace 10, or queens, jacks, or tens. All of which I am currently ahead of, and by putting a larger size out there, we're building a bigger pot, and we are taking advantage of the fact that we have such a strong hand and we're trying to get more money out of a weaker holding. Another thing to remember is that my villain is a foreign player who traveled to the US in order to play poker. He's paying for this trip by playing poker, so he's not a recreational weak player and he's a very good winning player and will not be afraid to mix it up with a lot of hands that we will not exactly expect him to have. So as all of that's going through my head now, that's why really sizing up makes a lot more sense to really narrow his range down to a hand and to be able to get a better feel for what it is that he's calling with. Anyway, we go to a turn with $650 in the pot now and we see the 10 of clubs. Our villain checks again and we decide to size up here to $235, the size that I really should have taken on the flop. Again, this bet size is garbage as he already called a 40% pot bet on the flop. We really need to be making this closer to two thirds to full pot here to make sure that we are getting value from weaker hands. In the moment, what I was thinking was I wanted to keep it as a small bet and get calls from hands that I'm beating, but the fact that he already called a flop bet shows that he has something that he's willing to put money in the pot with. But what ended up happening is my small bet here could be signaling weakness to him who is a good thinking player and he might want to exploit that perceived weakness. And try and exploit it is exactly what he did as he decides to check raise me to $850. Now with any holding other than ace king, I am most likely gonna fold here. Like if I have kings, if I have queens, if I have jacks, I really can't continue here with this big of a check raise. Really the only thing that I can continue with here is top pair with a good kicker, so an ace king, an ace queen sort of hand, or 
if I happen to be uh, floating the flop with pocket tens and turn to set, yeah, then I can continue. At this point, I have $965 left in my hand after the turn bet, and I'm facing $615 to call for $1735, or almost three to one. I start thinking through the hand, and at the time, I discount pocket sevens and pocket fours, as I really didn't think he would call a three bet pre-flop with those hands. But in hindsight, those hands do make perfect sense because my three bet size was way too small. If I would have gone the 200 plus route for my pre-flop three bet, yeah, then pocket fours probably are not likely. Pocket sevens would be more borderline. But at the time, I start going through hands in my head and I start thinking, oh, he likely has the same hand as I do. With that thinking, I decide to shove for my remaining 965, which he quickly calls because it's only another $115 for him to win a pot of over $2,000. The river comes off the 10 of spades, which at the time makes me think that any kind of hand with a 10 in it is pretty unlikely unless he specifically had ace 10 and to my surprise the villain turns over seven of clubs eight of clubs at the time i'm looking at the board trying to figure out okay he must beat me what is it that i'm losing to i don't understand and when i looked at it a little bit closer i realized he semi-bluffed with a pair and a turn flush draw thinking that A, I was weaker than I really was, and B, that he could get a lot of fold equity out of hands that didn't contain an ace. When I shoved, he had only $115 to call for 2000, so he's getting 20 to one. Anybody's gonna make that call. Luckily for us, he bricked out, he didn't improve, and we were able to scoop this pot. But the thing that I really didn't like about the way that I played this hand is my bet sizing. I really invited him to do this semi-bluff shove, essentially, to make all the pressure back on me. So instead of me putting pressure on his holding and making him aware that I was holding something fairly strong, he then flipped it back on me and the decision came to me for my stack versus me putting him to the test for his chips. And like I said, when he raises there, if I have a hand like pocket kings or pocket queens with that ace on board, I'm most likely out of there. I would probably have folded assuming like I did at the time that he had a hand like ace king and just put my tail between my legs and ran away. When in actuality, since he is a good thinking player who's obviously a profitable player, he's able to make this play by not only calling off the small three bet size preflop with suited connectors, but when he hits a pair, my flop bet sizing was not big enough to get him to fold a pair and a backdoor draw. So when we get to the turn and he picks up his flush draw and nine additional outs, he really sees it as a good spot to put me to the test and try and take away the pot then and there if I didn't have a hand like I did. It's one of these situations where unfortunately I played it poorly 
but I was fortunate enough to have just strong enough of a hand to call and hold up and scoop a pot of a little over $2,500. This hand has been seared into my memory since then. The moral of this hand is to really know your player type. If this were a player who I perceived as a recreational player, then yeah, his shove there, I'm completely beat 100% of the time. He either has pocket aces, ace 10, pocket 10s, pocket 7s, pocket 4s, definitely has some sort of set, and he's not going to make this play with a combo draw. But in this situation with a very thinking player, he was thinking at least one level, if not two levels above me in this hand, and was able to put the pressure on me to make a call when I did not necessarily always have the nut advantage here. Always remember, especially in a low limit game, you really have to know your player type. Recreational players aren't gonna raise here without the nuts, but a good thinking player is gonna see my small bet sizing on preflop, flop, and turn as a potential sign that I have a hand like queens or jacks or something like that, that I'm a little bit afraid of the ace being out there and they're gonna take advantage of that and really put me to the test. So thank you for checking out episode two of the Poker Punks podcast. And like I've been saying, I would like to make this podcast a little bit more interactive with anybody that's listening out there. So if you have a hand that you think either you played great, you played poorly, you just want to get a second opinion of, please go over to pokerpunks.com and you can find there the hand submission section and put in the details for your hand. And if it is selected to be reviewed on the podcast, I will send you out a Poker Punks card protector as a thank you for listening, submitting, letting your hand be on the podcast. I really want to make this podcast a interactive community. I'm not saying that I am the end-all be-all of hand reading and hand analysis, but what I am saying is I am another set of eyes that can give some insight uh, through my years of playing into what I think maybe you did well, what you may have done poorly, how I might have played the hand differently, or what I'm taking away from the way you played the hand that makes me think that you played it well. So again, if you want to check it out, it's at pokerpunks.com. And in the meantime, let's run it up the punks.